You're now experiencing data with Brian O'Neill. Experiencing data explores how product managers, analytics leaders, data scientists, and executives are looking at design and user experience as a way to make their custom enterprise data products and analytics applications more useful, usable, and valuable. And now, here's your host, the founder and principal of Designing for Analytics, Brian O'Neill. Welcome back to Experiencing Data. This is Brian T. O'Neill. Today, I have my friend Steve Mulder from like the knots. We met in the knots, didn't we? Long, long ago in a galaxy far away. <laughs> Called Lycos. <laughs> <laughs> Some of our listeners probably don't know what Lycos is. So Steve and I met at Lycos.com, which was like the number two Yahoo. I guess we were always like number two, except for that one little time when we were ahead of Yahoo and it was such a big deal. That's right. Search engine race. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that feels like a million years ago, doesn't oh, it? Oh man, it does. And somehow you found your way to NPR as a senior director of audience insights. I don't even know what were you an information architect at Lycos? I was a designer when I first came in there. What was your title and how the hell did you end up at NPR as the senior director of audience insights? That's an excellent question. I have yet to figure that out. Somehow it just happened. So yeah, you and I are both from the worlds of, of UX, obviously. And you know, I've been thinking about this. It's kind of amazing that people with backgrounds in user experience and design, we end up everywhere. And I think it's because we have a couple of things going for us collectively in this space. We are user-centered in our hearts, right? So we under, we, we are, we are, our goal is to understand people and what they need, regardless of what space we're talking about. We are grounded in research and you know, getting to underlying motivators of people and what they need. We're focused on good communication and interpretation and putting knowledge into action. And we're generalists, right? I mean, I know you feel this way. Like We've both acquired a ton of different kinds of skills over the years. And I have a feeling that because of that, we're, we have an easier time moving across disciplines. And in my case, you know, moving from user experience information architecture, like you said, through user experience design and usability testing and user research and strategy into analytics. They're all sort of small moves in their own right. And yet, over the course of a, of a career, it definitely adds up to a, to a real shift. And I'm totally loving it, totally loving the idea of applying data and making it actionable at yeah. a place like NPR is so rewarding. Yeah, yeah. Can you give the audience a little bit of background? And this is Part of the reason I want Steve on here, besides like he's just a great guy and super sharp, and I always looked up to you at, at the Lycos days and all of that. But I wanted to know really what I wanted to understand today is maybe how do you see that world differently than a lot of the traditional data science and analytics leaders that I have on the show? I have a feeling, and you kind of went over some of this, but what do you do at NPR with this data? How do you guys make it actionable? I, I know you have, there's a newsroom project that just came out. I'd love for you to kind of unpack that. So I'll let you start where you want, but I really want the Steve lens on this data world, like will be really <laughs> fascinating to share, I think. Yeah, of course. So let, let me start with our team. So we are the audience insights team at NPR and we work across the organization and with NPR stations across the country providing a holistic understanding of our audiences, plural, <laughs> and applying that knowledge, you know, bringing it to life and creating an audience-centered community that is using data to make better decisions, you know, data-informed decision-making. That's, that's what we are all about. So we work across, obviously, content creation, because NPR is all about creating content, whether that's 
radio stories or tech stories or podcasts or what have you, right? But also working to influence product development within NPR and technology choices and, and evolution to influence what we do with marketing and sponsorship and revenue and really across the board, trying to influence how we use our knowledge of audience most effectively. That's what it's all about. So we're a, we're a team of researchers and analysts that come together and really dive deep into the, the great ocean of all this data we have at our disposal and research that we're conducting ourselves, of course, and to get that full 360 degree view of our audiences and whatever tools, you know, whatever, whatever process that takes, we will go there. So we are nimble and uh, we really think carefully about how can we use, because we're a small team, how can we use our time most effectively to make a difference towards NPR's overall goals? And is that re when you say research, are you talking about qual and quant or like what, what kind yeah. of? Yeah, absolutely. So everything from, you know, everything from qualitative research, testing new shows and learning directly through, you know, one-on-one -on -one interviews, going deep and understanding, for example, how do younger and diverse audiences respond to traditional NPR content that has historically been a little too white, shall we say? <laughs> to doing you know, quantitative validation and deep, deep quantitative research directly with our audiences, um, surveys and segmentation analyses and so forth. And then of course, looking at analytics data, looking at behavioral data in every way we can to really understand reach, engagement, and the trends that tell us where to invest our time. Because with a company like NPR, you know, we're a, we're a mission-based nonprofit. We don't have the kinds of resources that a New York Times or CNN does. So we have to be really careful about how we invest and feel a level of confidence that the research and the data are pointing us to investing in these shows or these platforms or these marketing campaigns. Right, right. Unpack a little bit the, the qualitative research part here. The fact that you even started with that, that is not a typical role that you hear. Analysts, yes, a qualitative researcher on a data team is not something. And for someone that has limited resources, the fact that that's important says something. Why is that important? What do you get out of having that? Like, why, why should someone who doesn't come out of our world think that that matters? Like, you chose to spend your budget that way for a reason. Yeah, yeah. You know, the familiar trope is that quantitative tells you what is going on and qualitative tells you why. You know, getting underneath the surface to why do people feel the way they do? Why are they motivated? What, why are they describing their needs in a certain way? So we'll unleash qualitative research with our audiences, of course, but also internally. You know, As we talk about, for example, what kind of analyses and what kinds of dashboards that we want to build with our analyst team, every single time we'll do assessments and deep interviews to make sure that we are as audience-centered in our data tool creation as we are in our audience-facing work, right? If you're going to be user-centered, you've got to be user-centered everywhere with your end users, with your prospects, and internally with the people that you work with day to day. That's super important. So whenever we have a new assessment process that we use, when we are going to go talk with a division or department about some kind of a new tool like a dashboard, every time we will absolutely spend a lot of time upfront, deeply understanding not just verbatim what they're asking for, but what are the underlying needs and motivations that they're trying to get to? Because sometimes, you know, sometimes people, if they're asking for an analysis or a quick answer or a dashboard, they don't always know exactly what they need. 
what the problem is they're trying to solve, the job they're trying to get done. They'll come to you with a question, but it's your job to play consultant and get to the underlying problem they're trying to solve. So that's where qualitative research really shines because you're just not going to learn that right in a survey of a couple of stakeholders. You need to spend time and dive deep. How do they respond to that? Like the common objection that I'll hear is like, you know, they tell me they don't have time for this and they just want this thing. And there's a lot more of the, what I call the order fulfillment mentality of analytics, right? Which is this spreadsheet, I need these columns pulled from this data source. Do you have that over time with fries? You know, like, <laughs> you know how do you get to that point where the person that's asking for it isn't just like, can I just have this dashboard, please? Do they see it as like, it took a while and now they're like, I know why you're interviewing, let's do it because I know I get something better or is it still like a tax for them? Like how do your internal stakeholders look at that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look, there are times when we all respond to data questions with data and it's over and done. And when the CEO calls and he needs a number, you give it. <laughs> but what we find is that, you know, the more we work with people, right, and develop relationships and that deeper sense of trust as an organization with each other and how we work, the more openness there is to having a real conversation. So it might begin short and sweet with just like, hey, can we just get on a Slack call for five minutes and kind of talk about what you're looking for? I want to make sure I'm, I'm tuned in to exactly what you need. And just sort of, you know, progressively get in there and like learn more and more about, about what's underlying their request. And then over time, you know, they are more and more open to having like, you know, deep hour-long conversations where yeah. you really can spend the time, but you have to earn it. You have to earn it through trust. Do you involve them in the prototyping or low fidelity sketches or, or whatever, like some kind of design prototyping process, like before you get to final digital, a digital comp or a working data driven prototype or something like how much are they get involved with that? Yeah, absolutely. The earlier you learn to make sure you're on the same page and to uncover any sort of hidden obstacles, the earlier you learn, the better, right? So absolutely. And this is where the old the old skills of information architecture and user experience come into play because we know how to prototype in a lean way and we know how to conceptualize ideas and start making them real for people without investing in queries, without investing in data infrastructure. So, you know, good old fashioned wireframes, whiteboards, they go a long way. We're doing that right now with revisiting some of the ways we do to, to display podcast metrics internally where we're going through this process of revisiting the way we do that. And absolutely, we are in the mode of good old sketching and wireframing to bring that to life as early as possible. That's great. Tell me about this recent project. So the newsroom, you guys just rolled something out to the newsroom. Can you help us visualize literally what that looks like, like what kind of content on it, and then kind of tell us who is it for? And then how did you guys come up with that particular design and that whole process? Yes, let me introduce you to Sandy. Sandy is the Story Analytics and Data Insights dashboard for content creators within NPR. And, you know, for a long time in working with our newsroom and our programming department, they had access to a lot of data, but it was siloed. So we had a dashboard for podcasts. We had a dashboard for NPR.org and for both of our apps. And, you know, we, we had all this data, but it was so compartmentalized and separated out. And on top of that, we are an organization that is... Well, heavily invested in audio, no surprise. So the fact that we have audio listening going on and we have reading of stories going on as well and video consumption, it was well past time 
And we needed a holistic view for content creators where we could bring all that together in one place. So we've we worked on for, for quite a while on this notion of where we wanted to go with this. To get there was a journey, both in terms of the culture within the newsroom and making sure that we build something that would actually get used, because otherwise, what's the point, right? But also building the, the back end, the infrastructure needed to support this so that we can finally break down those silos and get all this data all together in BigQuery in this case, but get it all in one place which gives us just tons of flexibility now about what to do with that. So at the core of this dashboard is the concept of the story, right? And so a story at NPR can be something that you might hear on All Things Considered on the radio, or you might listen to on our website or app on our smart speaker, or you might read on any NPR properties or on Apple News or wherever else it might be distributed as a written story as well. So being holistic and thinking about it that way is just incredibly important to us. So the dashboard itself is organized around that principle. So you've got, what are the stories? By story, I can now look at its reach in reading and in listening and engagement, audience engagement, both in reading and listening. And of course, being able to like filter by all random aspects of metadata that we have in there so I can look at certain topics or bylines, reporters, keywords within the piece, like any number of places that I can drill in as a reporter or as an editor. But so that's, that's what it is in a nutshell. So is the idea here, like there's a topic which is like impeachment number two, and then I can see all the material we created on that and it's supposed to drive, do we need more on impeachment number two? And that's like, and, and then you have all the stories related to that or it's it's down at the specific one, which is like the Capitol riot video, like down at that level. And then it's, can you talk to me about kind of the different tiers? Cause you have topics, right? Broad topic, narrow topic, story level topic. How do you guys navigate that space? That would seem difficult. Well, one thing we talk about a lot is where is a dashboard important where daily or weekly data is really driving decision-making? And where do we just need to do ad hoc analyses or, or occasional analyses that answer core questions? So where we are beginning with this work is focusing the dashboard at the story level, but knowing that we're going to carry forward with topic analyses on a regular basis both outside the dashboard and then eventually that'll become in the dashboard as well, right? So, so right now you can see all the stories around something like inauguration and see how they did individually. Eventually we'd like to roll that up so you can look at the entire topic as a whole as a series of rolled up numbers or trends as well, not just at the story level. What are some of the other use cases like? Is this like a 9 a.m. the head of the editorial team comes in and checks some numbers or like what, what are some of the scenarios that it was designed to solve for. Yeah, we actually, um, we spent a lot of time up front through research, as we talked about, right? Diving into that. And one of the ways we we crystallized this, because we we talked with a lot of people over what turned out to be months, really, of, of getting down into the use cases, both current uses of data within a daily newsroom workflow, but also what we want to be true. So leadership had, had a vision for how to better use data within the org. And so vetting some of those ideas and also just learning other new ideas along the way, right? As a generative process that it is. So the way we ended up crystallizing all of this is we captured for each role within the newsroom, like a reporter and editors and managers and so on, we would capture a list of what are the core questions that we would want any new dashboard to answer in very simple ways, right? So I'm a reporter coming in in the morning and what do I want to know? I want to know how did my story perform in terms of audience reach and engagement? 
yesterday that was on the air or, or online. How did that story compare with my other stories? How did it compare with other stories in the same topic, you know, around inauguration or whatever, with other stories that occurred overall yesterday? Was yesterday a good day for context, right? How did people get to my story? You know, how did they learn about it? Does that tell me anything about how I'm reaching or not reaching the audiences that I want to? The overarching question for the reporter is, how is my work doing and how can I get even better at my job? I mean, that's, you know, at the highest level, that's what it comes down to. But coming up with that list, the list of questions that we wanted this tool to answer was a great way of getting on the same page within with our stakeholders and within our team and with management to make sure that this thing was going to do what we wanted to. And I'm so glad we spent the time up front in actually doing that. But it took lots of feet on the ground and lots of conversations over Zoom <laughs> because the year we've had to actually make that happen. But it's paid off in spades because if we hadn't done that, I guarantee you with the large and diverse kind of newsroom that NPR has, that we would have failed to seize, we would have had gaps, right? We would have had blind spots where we wouldn't have seen certain needs. Or at the very end, you know, the, the newsroom leadership could have come in and said, oh, but you guys, the dashboard doesn't do this, doesn't do that. Yeah. But because we'll we spent the time up front, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But because we spent all that time up front, looped them in about what questions do we want the dashboard to answer? What are the KPIs for the newsroom that are most critical to tie all this work to? Like, you know, leadership, what kind of behavior do you want to encourage in the newsroom? Bringing those two things together, then we can get serious and talk about the user experience of it and, and the data infrastructure and, you know, get in the details of it. But I'm so glad we didn't rush into queries <laughs> and rush into the data. We spent the time up front. And yeah, it took a long time, but for a project of this scope, because we knew if we didn't get it right, we would just miss the opportunity of having real impact. We had to take the time. It was totally worth it. Here's what people have been saying about the Designing Human-Centered Data Products Seminar. A pretty quick and accessible snapshot of how to think about you know, user design for data solutions products. I mean, you can go super deep on UX design, you can talk about data solutions, but how do you combine the two in sort of a very digestible way? I think it's a very, very, solid framework to get started. Interested in joining me and a group of fellow students in the next cohort? Visit designingforanalytics.com slash the seminar for details and to learn how to get notified when pre-registration begins. I hope to see you there. And now back to the episode. I know this is pretty new. Have you had any anecdotal stories about how this has changed anything or just feedback yet? Or is it still too early to kind of know? Yeah, yeah. Already we've been seeing it. So we, we did a soft launch like right around the election and then had a much bigger launch than just in the last couple of weeks here. And we're already seeing it take hold. So both in ways that, that are sort of explicit and implicit. And what I mean by that is like we see people using the dashboard directly and finding their own insights. For example, after the election, seeing certain themes and, hey, I've, I'm looking at the written stories that have the most user engagement after the election. And I noticed a trend. Let's talk about that. Let's act on that. What can we learn going forward, right? So so seeing those sparks of insights happen organically, which is great. The other thing that's happened is, like many newsrooms, there is a morning editorial planning meeting, right? It's, it's the huddle where all the folks get together and talk about what's on tap for today, what's the key areas of coverage, who's got what, 
How are we executing stories? That morning meeting was, I would say, not data-free a year ago, but kind of close to data-free. Data-loose, data data-casual. <laughs> so, but but with, with this new- like more jeans than slacks. <laughs> yeah, that's totally fair. Some lounge, lounge wear. <laughs> so, so we've really reinvented that meeting. So working with some just great allies in the newsroom, taking a fresh look at five minutes every morning, what can we share in terms of data and insights on that data that will really drive the conversation in an even more audience-centered way than ever before? And without this dashboard, there was no way to get a holistic view. Like It would have taken you a long time to go to all these different tools and all these different questions, and the data is presented differently. There's not a consistent way of looking at engagement, for example. Without this new environment, that prep for that important five minutes just couldn't have happened. So we're already seeing that make a big difference. Like that meeting has transformed in terms of it being grounded in what just happened and what is performing well with audiences and people talking about it, right? Like the importance of data and insights percolating in just the daily language people use, that's it. I mean, that's the magic and that's what we're focused on here. So that's the more implicit way, right? Where we're seeing it become kind of a an engine of an ongoing engine of insights that doesn't even need us to be there to help operate that engine because we're a small team. So building those kinds of engines of data, those can really pay off. During your research phase, did you know that this was going to be part of the huddle or did that organically emerge and the editorial team just decided that we should be having this Sandy at the meeting? It was absolutely on our list. Yes, that, that was in our sites, that particular meeting, because we knew how much of that drove daily editorial decision-making. And we knew that to bring audience insights into the newsroom on a daily basis, we had to be present. Well, our impact had to be present in that daily meeting. Yeah. Got it. So they had seen, these teams had seen what this was going to look like before it ever was real. Like they knew they were going to have Sandy there and it was going to look like this and it was going to provide this kind of stuff. They had some idea what was coming. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we had allies in the newsroom for years who have been asking for that, right? And have been kind of operating in pockets of of like, we need better use of data and better insights and better aggregations. And, and so finding those allies and finding the sort of executive authority too, to make this happen was, was a critical first step in all of this. It wouldn't have happened if we didn't have those allies already present and we didn't work hard to deepen those relationships and make that work. So yeah, we, we, had, we had some folks raring to go once we had the right tools and processes in place. And then for a lot of folks in the newsroom, you know, it's going to be a much longer process to get them just used to living with this kind of data on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. One of the things that like I've noticed, you know, people coming usually more from technical backgrounds from data science or engineering or analytics or statistics, they tend to look at the world from the data first. And it's like, well, this is what's been collected. Maybe it got collected before I was ever here. What can we do with it? And then the human factors kind of oriented person is like, we're trying to find a need first and then we'll go back to what's available. Did you find out when you, when you were doing the research, I do think there's an argument, I've changed my opinion on this, that both of these matter because what happens is, is sometimes, especially internal stakeholders, and this is happening a lot with machine learning and AI right now, which is, the business thinks they want it, but they don't really understand it enough to even know what questions that it can answer. And they're relying on the experts, usually data scientists, 
to do a job that they didn't think they were there to do, which is how could you help me with this new tool that you have? And they're more like, like hand me a problem that's well-defined and I will go solve it. I'll build a model, I'll build a forecast, I'll do whatever, but the infrastructure is not there to do it. And they don't see their role as being to go and figure out what should we be doing? Did you have that challenge too, which is people saying like, well, what, I don't know, what podcast analytics can you tell me? What what could I get out of that data? Cause they don't even know what's being collected, let alone what questions to ask. Like, it's just so abstract. Did you have to work from both ends or did you only work from kind of the user experience lens and just really out of what they asked for and not presenting options like, well, we could tell you listenership over the week compared to other stories of the same topic or like these kind of data generated use cases. Like, is this resonating at all? I hear this a lot. Like, Oh yeah, absolutely. The folks that are, that are leading the business or product lines or, or creating podcasts, their job is not to necessarily know like what kinds of data exists and what is possible and like what's the latest in the technical evolution of podcaster measurements right. based on log file parsing? Like right. they, they're not gonna, they're not gonna know that stuff, they, right? Our job is to be. I like to talk about it as like I'm a committed generalist. Like I work really hard to one speak business, so I understand the world they live in and what's motivating and and what's 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 the value of the business I'm trying to connect to. Speaking users, obviously, that's my gig speaking data and technology to make it all function, speaking product, because if we, if we can't express what we are doing in a product that scales and endures, it'll die, right? And we speak marketing. Like it's really critical to be able to market the work to see it have real influence and in life. And we are the interpreters in many ways. Like analysts have to be interpreters to be able to have impact. We can't bury ourselves in the data. I, I've been reading a book recently I don't know if you, you know, Nancy Duarte, um, she wrote this book called Data Story. Oh, excellent. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, so I'm reading through her book, Data Story and it's, it's fantastic. And she really, she really captures, I think she has this model of kind of the career growth of an analyst that is really in sync with how I've been thinking about it too, which is, you know, you go from like early in your career as an analyst, you begin as an explorer of data, right? You're sort of swimming in the data, starting with the data to your earlier point, right? and finding insights from the data first perspective. And then you become an explainer over time in your career. And, and an explainer is all about creating meaning. What is the context and interpretation that I can bring to this insight that makes it important, that answers the question, so what? You know. And then the final step is, is inspire, to actually inspire action and inspire new ways of looking at business problems or, or, or whatever you're looking at. And that career progression just rings so true. We have a mantra on our team that we follow that's very similar, which is moving from what to so what, and then now what, you know, moving from simply reporting on the past, what happened, to talking about so what, what does it matter? Why should I care? And then getting to now what, you know, now what, what does the organization do next? Getting comfortable with making real recommendations based on analysis we do or dashboards, whatever it is getting more comfortable with with that approach so we can involve we can evolve our own skill sets as analysts and consultants and evolve what the organization needs to be to to actually use that use that data so our job as translators like going along this journey of what to so what to now what is absolutely all about taking stakeholders along with us who may not know how to speak the language of data like we do 
how could we expect them to, right? We spend so much time immersed in it. It's our job to be translators and bring them along and understand them so well that to them it feels painless. Not always easy, but like, but that's that's a critical piece of it is making them feel like we're doing this for them, not for us. And it's going to have an impact because we understand what matters to them underneath the surface so well that we can tailor what we're doing for them. So talking to a reporter, all this deep research that we did in our newsroom, we then knew how to translate that into a dashboard that would just feel very intuitive to them because it was answering questions the way they thought of the questions, not the way that we as analysts think about those questions. Was there like one main risk or hurdle that you're that not technical unless the only ones were technical, usually it's not, but was there one particular thing you're like, team, we got to get this right. If we don't get this right, we're done. Like, was there something like that? Or what was just the most, the hardest part of like making, you know, getting some places it's simply getting people to use the dashboard or whatever the yeah. tool is. <laughs> it's usually because it's not helping anything or it was a one hit wonder and answered one question one time and then it's done. Was your concern that it wouldn't get used or... I would say for this year now, that's our main challenge, is making it part of regular life in the newsroom. That is our big ongoing challenge. And it's going to be, and it's ongoing. You know, this is a whole process. The dashboard launch is not an end of anything. It's the beginning of the hard work, right? But looking back, like what we've done so far, I mean, there's a lot of things I could talk about, but but I think that carving things down to what's the simplest is always a big challenge. Because just because those of us drowning in data are always tempted to expose more of it than we should. You know, like we've got, we got a million ways of looking at the reach of a given story and engagement because engagement metrics vary so much, whether you're talking about audio or text or by platform, the data that's available. And our instinct is to expose it all, you know, give them like to the hundredth decimal point, this calculated engagement score and all of its components and just like, giant tables and giant line graphs. And honestly, again, it, it was it was all about this process of convergent, divergence and convergence, right? So like diverge and go big and think of all the things that you might provide to answer the questions that the dashboard needs to answer and then converge on the things that matter most and test and iterate and gradually take more and more away because you realize, you know what? Most people are never going to care to know the number. They just want to know, was it above or below average in terms of engagement compared to other stories that are like it. That's what they need to know. So why are we showing a number to the hundredth decimal? And let's, you know, let's, let's be real. Let's make this default view and the daily email that they get that's part of this, this ecosystem now. Why don't we just make that the simplest possible view? And the people who want to go deeper, we will provide pathways for them to do so. But let's not optimize it for the advanced person. Let's optimize it for the most common usage and the people that aren't using it at all yet. And we need to guide them along the way, step by step. Yeah, that's excellent. This has been a great conversation. Thanks for sharing. It's great to hear what, what's going on there. And congrats on the project, too. I know it's, a, it's nice to get one of those things out. Yeah, you know, big, out big milestone. Yeah. yeah, and that's where the learning really begins, right? Yes. Like, it's kind of like really the beginning. It feels like the end, but it's actually the beginning of the project, you know? <laughs> Do you see the natural evolution of what you're doing is to move into forecasting or predictive analytics? My understanding is, I, I think I read something, but like a lot of the content on even 
Netflix and Apple and some of these places, it's literally driven by what people watch, like plot lines, genre, all this stuff is is heavily guided by the data. Like they're designing shows loosely based on or somewhat, I don't actually know if it's loose or not, but it is data informed how they come up with new shows. Do you see that happening? I don't know if the scale of the data is there, but do you see that as the next the future iteration will be going into more machine-based forecasting or predicting what needs to be done based on audience consumption. Yeah, yeah, we're already making forays into that, although it's more it's more done through like ad hoc analysis rather than like deep machine learning and algorithms that are continuously running. So, but analyses where we can go, for example, into podcast listening, right, and understand like deeply the audiences that are listening to podcasts, what do we know about them and what kind of cross-listening behaviors do we know? And so so applying that deep knowledge forward to future strategies for podcast development and new shows. And and so it's it's forward-looking and it's based in data, but it's not the algorithmic approach that the Netflixes of the world are doing. And this is again where like the NPR nonprofit budget <laughs> and resources <laughs> hold us back a little bit from going there. But Definitely exploring that. Some folks who might know about the NPR One mobile app might know about this as like a personalized mix of, of news and information and local and national stories and podcasts. That that is a, a custom flow and absolutely is 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 all about like creating a custom flow that responds to what people listen to and what they need. And you know, it's it's early days even for that for sure uh, in terms of what's possible. I'm super excited about what that all means down the road. But at the same time, I feel like, and no surprise, some coming from a guy who works for NPR, but I think there's always going to be power in expert curation around something like the news, right? Where a lot of our job is not just writing stories, but on the radio or on smart speakers or on our website, curating what are the stories that matter most right now. And that act of curation is is super critical. So how do we get the best of both worlds, right? As a universe, how do we get the best of both worlds of the kind of responsiveness to what matters to me personally, to having that sense of communal and expert curation that gives meaning to the insane amount of news happening on any given day. Right. Yeah. I can imagine. This is great. Do you have any closing thoughts for, for our listeners? Any, any general takeaways or something that you've had a learning experience at NPR about working with data that you're like, don't do that again. I learned this or something, <laughs> just any advice. You've, it sounds like you've done some great, some great work there. As we were talking with the newsroom about this whole project and kind of ongoing, how do we use data? You know, there's a, there's a healthy skepticism in some parts of our organization and probably yours too <laughs> around data and around the fact that I don't want data to limit what I do with my job. I don't want it to tell me what to do. And we spend a lot of time kind of reassuring people that data is never going to make decisions for you. It's just the foundation that you can stand on to better make your own decision. It's like if you build a solid foundation, a platform in a field, and that platform is based on data and insights driven by that data, and you get up on that platform, it's a solid platform from which you as a reporter or a manager, you can see the horizon better. You can see what's happening better. And you can jump better because you're jumping off a firm platform, but you're still the one jumping and deciding where to jump. You're still making the decisions, you know? So, so for example, we don't use data-driven decisions at NPR. We talk about data-informed decisions because that better reflects the fact that it is data and expertise together that make things magic 
So that's that's a theme that we talk a lot about. Awesome. I love it. Steve, where can people find more? Where are you hanging out? Is LinkedIn or like tell our listeners how they can follow your work? Yeah, generally all those places, all, all the the tw- Twitter at Mulder Media, you can find me. Mulder Media. And, okay, uh, you're still that. Okay. Yeah, still, still after all these years. <laughs> and now <laughs> you're in a media company. <laughs> yeah, all, all of a sudden, my Twitter handle makes sense. Like, you know, two right. decades later. Who knew? <laughs> who knew? Predictive analytics. Lucky. <laughs> um, and, and otherwise, while you'll never hear me on NPR, please tune in to NPR and give to your local station. Ah, that's a good place to leave it right there. Well, thanks, Steve. <laughs> this is so great. Thank you for coming on. It's been great to, to catch up with you. And we'll hopefully see each other soon. Great to join you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Experiencing Data with Brian O'Neill. If you did enjoy it, please consider sharing it with the hashtag Experiencing Data. To get future podcast updates or to subscribe to Brian's mailing list, where he shares his insights on designing valuable enterprise data products and applications, visit designingforanalytics.com slash podcast.